week ahead brought to you by Advisorpedia and powered by Tomatica Research. I'm Chris Versace, Tomatica's Chief Investment Officer, and joining me as always, but earlier than usual, is Tomatica's Chief Macro Strategist, Lenore Hawkins. Good early morning, Lenore. I hope, I hope you're caffeinated. I don't want to talk too loud. Don't want to wake what? you up if I don't have to. What? Huh? <laughs> what, what's happening? <laughs> it's 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 actually quite a busy day. I, I know you're it easing really into it, given wherever you are. But we've, you know, as we're recording this, retail sales for April hit, industrial production hit, and the market's yeah. trying to claw back and all this stuff. So, but let's let's do what we do each and every week here and with the week ahead. Let's quickly recap last week yeah. and give some folks some context for what really matters the week ahead. Okay, so. Good news is heading into the weekend, Thursday, and it looks like as we record this on Friday, it looks like Friday is going to be a good day for the markets too. Finally ended what had been a three-day losing streak on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. The S&P managed to rise on Thursday with 445 of its components gaining on the day. So that's that's a really solid, <laughs> broad-based. That's confirmation. Yeah, that is confirmation. Uh, the Dow added as well. I mean, everybody across the board was at. Now, if we look at through Thursday, uh, where everybody is from their on their year to date, the Nasdaq down seven point two, the S and P down two point eight, the Russell down eight. But the really amazing one is Bitcoin down 21.2%. And I don't think that the Elon Musk flip-flop with, we're going to accept Bitcoin for Tesla's. <laughs> Wait, no, we're not. <laughs> because he just heard, just recently heard that Bitcoin mining involves potentially fossil fuels. Well, <laughs> you, heard. No one knew about that. So my theory on that is the following. Um you know, a lot of investors are adopting um, ESG screens and what they're doing. We're, we're, we're seeing that with yeah. the indices that we're developing. And I, I suspect that Elon kind of found out that, you know, Bitcoin, to your point, does not really make the ESG cut. Yep. So that's what I think is happening. But, you know, as I, as I teased a little bit, we had kind of a big week for Ugh. data. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yes, you know, breaking uh, stuff as we're recording, but... Earlier in the week, there was a, a bunch of inflation data that I, I would argue yeah. really, really hit the market. But I also know that you continue to say, and perhaps rightly so, that inflation, the warning bells, were not there yet. In fact, I think you said, put that, uh, oh, what was it? Put that alarm buzzer away. Yeah, put it back in the drawer. Put the alarm buzzer back in the drawer. So yeah, the most important thing I think out of the week outside of what there's, there's two things, there's the inflation data and then there's the retail sales stuff. So the big thing hit on Wednesday and that's what made the markets just go nutty on the downside. Uh, the month over month for headline and core were expected to be 0.2 and 0.3 respectively, but both came in at many multiples above that. Instead of 0.2 for headline, we got 0.8. Instead of 0.3 for core, we got 0.9. So that's a really big, those were both the biggest increases in headlines since 2009 and core hasn't been that high since the early 1980s. Headline CPI came in at 4.2% year over year. Now that's the highest since 2009 and core at 3% year over year. That's the highest since 1996. So all of that sounds like, holy cow, we should really be freaking out. Except I mean, before we even get into the details, let me point out that it's the highest since 2009. Since 
in the years following 2009, that's not like a period known for massive inflation. I, I don't think many traders were sitting there going, holy cow, when they read those, when they saw those numbers. I, I, I get the feeling it was a little stronger than that. Oh, crap. Um, <laughs> what, what, what the real concern is, is that they, this may push the Fed right. to slow down on its really loose monetary policy. And we all know that the Fed pumping cash into the market has been doing a heck of a lot to keep these elevated stock prices. But, but if well, we dig into the details on it, it's not really that. The headline really doesn't give you the full story. Those prices were highly concentrated in around 5% of the economy. Sporting events prices rose at a record 10.1%. So now keep in mind that with zero attendance, the Bureau of Labor Statistics didn't even report what stadium prices were doing at sporting events from July through December. The next thing you know, now stadiums, arenas are filled with like 5,000 fans will pay damn near anything to see a baseball or a basketball game. And so, woo, you have this 10.1% surge in the CPI sport ticket price index. Now that's, that's just because we had this crazy, you can't be anywhere and you can't see anybody and you're all locked in your homes kind of thing. That's not, that's just not legitimate price increase. I, I, be, had to cut be, I, I, I can't even imagine what Springsteen tickets would go for now. Yeah, exactly. You'll pay anything. It's like, I just want to get out. <laughs> Airlines had to cut capacity just in time for, well, the reopening phase of the economy. And now seats are filled and the industry managed to put through about a 10.2% a pricing surge in April. But that's because they cut capacity so much and they want to get those planes out there again and they want to get those seats filled. So this is not a long-term kind of thing. CPI airfares are down nearly 20% from where they were pre-COVID. So again, lot of noise in that data. But, but, Used but car seems, prices, of course, it, those went up. But that's because of this, the chip problem that we're having. It, it seems that a lot of these categories are ones that, given the nature of the pandemic, you would expect there to be pent-up demand for coming out of it. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So, exactly. And this, and it's also, but but these areas that really saw the skyrocketing, they were the ones that were hardest hit. So what that means is. It's not so much the demand is so crazy today. If you were to compare it to 2019, it's that the supply has been massively constricted because you had to shut down the stadiums, right? So there wasn't, there was no one like a year ago, there was nobody sitting in a stadium seat. Right. So we don't even have anything to compare it to. Well, we can't, you look at it, what it, happened with airlines. I mean, no one's on the darn planes, right? It, it sounds very similar to what we're hearing this earnings season from companies that are talking about supply chain shortages in, in, in the sense that there is demand out there for what we're talking about, but the amount of seats on planes, the amount of seats in stadiums is simply not matching the, the demand factors. So prices are moving higher. Does that, does that give you hope or belief that what Powell and the Fed say about transitory prices is likely to ring true? Oh, I absolutely. Because if you take a step back, look at the big picture of the economy. We still have a ton of people sitting on the sidelines who want a job. So that's excess, that's excess capacity to make things, right, in terms of labor. If you look at capacity utilization, we're still about 10% below where we have been at the peak. So there's still plenty of excess capacity that's referred to as slack in the economy just to make things. And, and for listeners, I, I would just point out that uh, Lenore wrote a wonderful piece that was published yesterday on the NASDAQ. Uh, com website talking about inflation and, and citing these very figures regarding capacity utilization and slack in the manufacturing economy.
Yeah, so I think overall, those inflation fears are completely overdone. But when you've got asset classes like equities, they're really priced for perfection and priced to keep having the Fed be super, super supportive and super accommodative. Any kind of news like this that might shake their conviction that the Fed is going to continue doing what it's been doing is going to get the markets a bit wobbly. But clearly, you know, here we are Friday. And we're bouncing back. So <laughs> that panic, and you gotta love how wussy the market has become. For the love of Pete, we hit all-time highs on Friday. We had some rough days Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And by the end of day Wednesday, the headlines were like, oh, it's all over. This is it. Well, <laughs> the end is here. It, it's you know, your opening was about, you know, um reversing a three-day sell-off. And I'm like, three-day sell-off. What's what's three days? Three days is three not. Days. Yeah, it's not the end of the world. And we're like over a decade into this bull market. It's three days and the end is here. Well, just compared to last year, right? We had, how many how many days in a row was it down, 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 down? Yeah, that was where you felt like the end was here. All right. But then now, um, we can look at, this? real quick at, at retail sales. So the, the only other one that was really, really big was um, the retail sales. Because PPI, the producer's price index, came in roughly about the same with as mm-hmm. CPI. That it was like, yeah, things are good, but mm, digging into the details. It's all base effects. It's all because last year was just hell. Right. The retail sales report came in, which is interesting because here we have hotter than expected on the inflation. Then retail sales on Friday came in weaker than expected. I know. Not at all consistent with this overheating economy narrative. So retail sales, including food, came in flat month Mm -hmm. over month. It was expected to be up 1%. Excluding food, it actually fell 0.3% month over month. So yeah, both of those not exactly telling you a story of an overheating economy, but what is kind of funny is just to look at it compared to year over year. Oh, absolutely. Top line's up over 50%, but that's because everything locked down. So it's again, it's just noise, like year over year. If you look at it compared to 2019, it's not a huge improvement. We had talked about this, uh, you know, before um, or or the last couple of uh, tapings of the week ahead. And we've been saying that companies, as you move further into the second quarter, are going to have unbelievably easy year over year comparisons. And the same is true for a lot of the economic data as well. Yeah, I think what's what's um, interesting, too, is we were all really convinced that uh, people are going to be going out and buying tons of clothes because we're getting out of the house. Woohoo! Hang on. Hold that thought. Hold that thought. Well, in the retail sales report, clothing at stores fell 5.1%. I know, I know, I know, I know. It's, it's, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting because I think that, you know, when we look at them on a trailing three month basis, um, some of the, some of the figures are actually very robust year over year. And we'll, we'll talk about that when we talk about the earnings that we're going to focus on in the coming week. But I think that um, I think you're right, though, that, it, that it's entirely due to very easy comparisons year over year. We shouldn't read too much into it. No, right now I'm still in the transient camp. Uh, but if we continue to get some super hot numbers on and this retail sales report is not telling me that we're going to get the super hot numbers. Mm-hmm. But if we continue mm-hmm. to get super hot numbers in May and June on inflation, 
mm, I may change my tune, but for now it's still, it's just a lot of noise from everything being in a massive lockdown a year ago. Well, who was it? One, one of the Fed heads said uh, a couple of days ago, and you, you wrote about this, that it really won't be until September that we really yeah. have a true sense. We have to get through the happening. summer. Yeah. And then you start getting some, some real idea. And here's, when you think about it, here's why the market got real wobbly. So the total market capitalization of the U.S. equity market relative to the overall size of the economy, which is kind of, that's it's a favorite of Warren Buffett's, mm-hmm. it's now at 270%. To put that into context, at the peak of the dot-com mania, it only hit 188%. Like, oh my God. So we're now over 40% more expensive than the most expensive stock market peak in history relative to, to GDP which means that today's valuations, the stock market would need to fall about 30% basically overnight in, over, in order to match the peak of what was previously considered the greatest bubble in modern history. This time around, though, the bubble is much broader. The median price to sales ratio for S&P index components is now almost 75% higher than it was at the peak of the dot-com mania. In other words, unlike that previous peak which was confined to just a really small little subset, the current Heck. bubble pretty much uncovers everything. But not Bitcoin. No, Bitcoin bubble, been, been bursting, uh, slid before below uh, 50K with uh, Tesla <laughs> suspending vehicle purchases. Um, around the, 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 the nation, around the world, the digital currencies seem to be under pressure kind of in general. Um, I think we could kind of laugh that uh, Elon Musk hosting a Saturday Night Live (laughs) episode just might have been a classic market top. Um, Tesla, by the way, peaked about, yeah, it it peaked a while ago and it's now down about 30% since it announced its investment in Bitcoin about three months ago. Crazy, crazy. What, What are we watching this week, Lenore? Okay, so looking forward, there's two regional Fed manufacturing indices for May. Now, this is the first time we get a look at May, and that will really be looking to see how are things accelerating. Uh, April housing starts, of course, focus is going to be on single family because we're still in that situation where, you know, it's funny, you can, you can say if you just, this is where it's always important to dig into the details. Mm-hmm. If you just look at the headline information on housing, you think, oh, here we are. We're back in a huge bubble, just like we were in like 06, 07, big bubble. Except the volume is so small oh, yeah. that makes it a very different thing. Back in 06, 07, like everyone and their cousin was buying three, four, five homes because it was like, buy it, flip it. That what was just. Of, what, what, what kind of cousins do you have? Three, <laughs> but, but there was a people were buying, people who had, you know, there was, there was a liar loan, right? No money down, no proof of income. And you could just buy it. So you just walk in, I'm going to buy a home, buy it, flip it. That was going on. Now there's such low volume that like, yeah, it, it seems bubbly because prices have gone up so high, but there's just so little inventory that naturally when there's tiny little inventory, prices are going to get bid up. So, uh, so we're also going, is it possible that then I might actually be right this time with what I said last time that the such low inventory levels might spur single family housing starts? And oh, maybe, definitely. May, maybe see normalized price. Well, I got it wrong last time. Remember? Yeah, that's part of it. Part of it. it no, we could. It could. It, we could see some of that. But a lot of what we're seeing is just it's abnormal on the selling side, as in existing homes. People aren't with Moving. the pandemic. People. Some people wanted to get the hell out of wherever they were, but other people didn't want to give up their home and move someplace else. 
Right. They wanted so someplace this else dis- to go to. Yeah. So you had this real disconnect and people also didn't want to open up their homes during the pandemic too. And, and still we're, we're seeing part of that. You, you just don't want strangers traipsing through your house. <laughs> Understandable. You're a little nervous, right? Living in a pandemic, people are nervous. We're also going to get on Thursday, the usual weekly jobless claim. So we'll be looking to see if that's continuing to go down, especially given how weak the April jobs report was. And Friday, to your point, the existing home sales. We're looking to see if that's starting to move up a little bit. Well, that's, yeah, I, I'm very, I'm going to be very curious to get some of that, some of that data next week, particularly the May stuff. But we've also got a big shift in earnings next week. Yes, the overall number, number continues to trek down compared to what we saw a few weeks ago. But this coming week is going to be heavily, heavily focused on retail, retail, retail. And, you know, as you were talking about the April retail sales, it's really going to set the tone or at least the benchmark or the limbo stick, whatever you want to call it, for these retail companies. And, you know, what I looked for in the April retail sales report was the trailing three month retail sales comparisons on a year over year basis. Why April, you might ask, why trailing three months? Because a lot of retailers have January quarter end. So the next quarter ends in April. So it's a nice comparison uh, that allows us to try and figure out um, which companies you know, might've taken share, wallet share from consumers that is, or which ones might've lost. So just some quick headlines here out of that April report. Again, three month trailing year over year for April, clothing and related accessories up almost 86%, sporting goods, bookstores up almost 71%, electronics and appliances about 40%, but this is the big shift. Food services and drinking establishments, i.e. restaurants and bars, of 29%, but grocery stores were down 2.4%. Well, and yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> you yeah. can finally go out now. <laughs> it's, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. But it's that inflection point that we've been kind of waiting and hoping to see. And I think um, with the CDC dropping the guidelines for masks, if you're fully vaccinated, I think we're going to start to see this gain a little more momentum. Um, and, and of course, online sales are up about 24%, again, for that three-month period ending April year-over-year basis. So that- and, and I would say that you'd have the same kind of thing with retail sales that we have with the inflation numbers, because I want to see, by the time we, we kind of lose some of these crazy base effects, mm-hmm. what's the mix going to be between eating out and eating in? Because we, we keep hearing from all these companies that- People bought all this, all these cooking, new cooking tools. They remodeled their kitchen. They build new school, new skills on, on cooking. Are they going to be more interested in eating home or eating out? Well, it, it's interesting you say that because DoorDash reported late last week, and they even said that their revenues were not as heavily hit by the reopening as they had expected. So it is going to be interesting to see what happens. Um, and I think it's going to take with the CDC dropping the the mask requirement because that really that changes your mindset for for people who are fully vaccinated. And as we get the the percent of the population that's fully vaccinated up, we're going to start to get a better idea of what life is going to be more normalish. But I think we're going to have to wait more towards September to really get a good feel for it. I think you're right. I, I think the one risk we run with the data in the near term, this would be uh, the April April data, the May data, the June data is perhaps some pent up demand by people. Exactly. I gotta go out, I gotta buy clothes, yeah. I gotta do this. Um, right. 
And then it's then, and we, you and I have seen this, God knows how many times before this pull forward means that, you know, in one, two, three months, you know, then we see a pronounced drop because that exactly. what we would have done again is pull forward. But anyway, anyway, so that those thoughts and those trailing uh, three month April data numbers we rattled off, we're going to keep them in mind because uh, coming this week, we've got Home Depot, Lowe's, Macy's, Walmart, Target, TJX companies, known better to you guys as TJ Maxx and Marshalls, Kohl's, Ralph Lauren, Ross Stores, Foot Locker, and VF Corp. And I'll leave you with this, Lenore, on the retail part of earnings next week. Dillard's reported uh, late last week, and they said that not, well, not only did their results for the April quarter crush it, this is what they had to say. As vaccinations increased, stimulus money was released, and warmer weather arrived, we saw sales increase over 2019 levels with momentum continuing throughout the quarter. So again, I think are people expecting a big rising tide lifting all these boats, but I don't think it's going to be equal across the board. No, I mean, we're still in that K, that K-shaped recovery. And what we've seen, even from the Federal Reserve, is is studies that show less than 25% of those stimulus checks is actually getting spent. The rest is being used to cut credit card debt, cut any kind of student debt. I mean, those are all hitting, they're, they're declining at a record pace. Mortgage debt is not, but <laughs> wait, where you can cut, you're cutting. Right, right. Okay. So outside of retail, we've got a couple other companies that I think folks will want to pay attention to. Um, you know, DICOM Industries, they're the specialty contractor that builds fiber and wireless networks. Their, out, their outlook, which not only benefit from um, warmer weather, which is better for construction, but it should also benefit from uh, AT&T, Verizon, and other carriers continuing to increase their spending on 5G networks. We'll look for confirmation in that. We'll also look for confirmation on the 5G and other network build out from Cisco, but Cisco is also going to tell us about cybersecurity demand given their business in their protecting networks. And speaking of cybersecurity, when Palo Alto Networks reports next week, it's going to be very interesting because I expect that they're going to talk not only about the Colonial Pipeline hack and other ransomware attacks, but the most recent high profile attack, which happened early on Friday, which was Ireland's health service operator had to shut down all its IT systems to, to protect it from, quote, significant ransomware attack, crippling diagnostic services and forcing hospitals to cancel many appointments. This just goes to show that, you know, these attacks are increasingly sophisticated. They're hitting, they're hitting companies and subsequently people in ways that we haven't even seen before. I think it's, it's more and more clearly becoming the, I think the colonial pipeline hack, and obviously this for Ireland, is really hitting home that this is a national security issue, that governments are going to have to get much more involved, that it, it's, it's, it's part of, it, it's kind of the new millennium version of national security, whereas you had mm-hmm. to protect a nation, right, from external nations who may want to come and attack. Well, we're getting attacked. It's just in the virtual world. I, I agree. I, I suspect that we're going to see you know, I don't know if it's over the last six months or 2021 over 2020 or 2021 compared to like 2019, but the demand for cyber insurance is going to be off the charts, simply off yeah. the charts. Well, it's the new, you know, you, you don't, you don't conquer a nation and steal its land anymore and its no. natural resources. You steal its data. Or you, or you just, you know, with a hit of a button. Or its ability. Stop, yeah. It's ability stop to Stop everything function. to do it. Exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. <laughs> 
for you and me, that would be uh, tapping in and shutting down our coffee pots. Oh God, don't, <laughs> shh, shh, don't even, that's just right. mean to say. I know, don't give anyone that idea. <laughs> I, all right, so let, let, let's finish this up. Um, also this week, we're gonna hear from Semicap Equipment Company, Applied Materials and you know, chip demand, we know just from our own digital infrastructure and connectivity index continues to step up, whether it's 4G LTE, Wi-Fi 6, um, you know, 5G, or, you know, the auto chip shortage and the like. Um, we just know that there, the, the demand continues to rise. Um, as I joke, chips are the fabric of our new lives. But we also know that Intel and Taiwan Semiconductor are planning on spending gobs of money to build out their manufacturing capacity for chips. And even this morning, uh, Taiwan Semiconductor said it plans to pump, quote, tens of billions of dollars more into cutting edge chip factories in the U.S. Uh, and I believe that's for its Arizona facility that it's been talking about. Um, so just applied materials when it's report should have a great quarter and the outlook should simply be robust. And then the last one that we want to talk about is uh, we've all seen or if you haven't, I'll tell you, there's been a huge uh, push higher in commodity prices, particularly corn, wheat, and soybeans. That tends to mean that farmers are flush with capital and cash. That means that John Deere, when it reports, should also have a very vibrant outlook. But the other thing I wanna be paying attention to when it gets to Deere is all the technology that it's putting into these tractors and combines. I really wanna see what it has to say about that as it continues to push towards um, precision farming initiatives and helping us with our own sustainable future of food index. Yep. It's uh, how to get more out of less. Boy, who wouldn't want to do that? <laughs> and with that, I believe, I that, believe it's... that's the week ahead.